Hello, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. Today, I'm talking to someone whose life has, at times, been easy breezy, and at other times, colossally difficult, and who has come out the other side charged and inspired, and actually inspiring, I would say, as well. At the depth of her depression and on the brink of suicide, El Nagy asked the universe for a sign, which is sent in the form of a kickboxing dojo she had never noticed before. The sheer physical exertion of kickboxing lifted her years-long depression in mere weeks, and then she became hungry for life. She competed in her first Ironman competition at age 41 and is known today as the Fear Maven after an encounter with a voice in her head during that race. Elle has a big story and a lot to cover, so let's start with her childhood in South Africa. Hi, Elle. Welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. How are you? Hey, Stephanie. I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on as your guest today. I'm so excited. I am as well. You have a really cool story, and I'm so excited to dig into it. Why don't we start by give me just sort of a, a broad stroke view of you. You have a great accent. Where are you from? Tell me a little about yourself. Oh my God, what accent? Whenever people say you have an accent, I'm like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Thank you for proving so it I'm... for me. <laughs> <laughs> Originally from South Africa, born and bred Afrikaans girl, grew up in a typical Afrikaans household, very traditional. It was all about being seen as the good girl and getting the A grades and ticking all the boxes so that your parents can be proud of you, but not too much that, you know, you make other people feel bad about themselves. And then, of course, being the black sheep, the weirdo, loved dancing, never fitted into a box, but had that extraordinary childhood of am I on the right planet did the stork drop me off at the wrong house and how do I make the most of it you know so I really grew up in what I would see as typical fashion I think I was a little bit weird in that I don't think the way that other people do and so when I hear them speak about things that don't always relate so much um, but with that there comes a price you are told you're too loud, you're too different, you're too this, you're too that. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how many A's you get, no matter how many awards you get, no matter how much you achieve, you never feel good enough. It became such a part of my operating system that achievement was the only thing that I knew how to do in order for me to be, I don't even want to say love just wanted some recognition from other people which really set me up to do fantastically well in our current society until I did it right so you did fantastically well you said through your 20s oh yeah I rocked it I mean it was so easy <laughs> thing that you wanted the doors were opened I wanted to be a dancer and then about two months before matriculating I bashed both my knees and the dancing career was ended, but went into an interview, got the job and worked there and never had issues in getting promotions. Then decided to go and study and 
don't tell anybody, but drank my way through a degree because I was so bored that I had to literally lubricate my brain to get through the exams and then get A's. And, and you're kind of like, this is so easy. And went into restaurant business and everything was just easy for me. Success was so easy for me that it was almost a little bit shameful because it's like it shouldn't be this easy when you hear everybody else talking but it was and it was fun and I was rocking it and I was confident and unstoppable and then I fell pregnant <laughs> and the world changed oh dear how old were you when you got pregnant I was 28 okay. when I when I was pregnant it was not planned or expected, is that right? It was not planned or expected. I was not married at the time. I was with my childhood sweetheart and well, I got the flu and was put on antibiotics and the doctor didn't bother telling me that antibiotics cancelled out the pill. And so I peed on the little stick and cried. <laughs> Because especially being from an Afrikaans culture, the next step was you get married. Now you're a mom, now you're a wife, and that was that. I didn't know how to be a mom. I never wanted to be a mom. I mean, make no mistakes, I absolutely adore my kids, but I was never maternal. I still don't go goo goo gaga over babies. I don't have that gene in me. So when I had to go through that and then we moved to Ireland when my second baby was six weeks old. We moved countries and um, had two babies. I remember it was my 30th birthday and it was pouring rain and I sat in this maroon painted freaking room and I just cried. I just cried and I was like, oh my God, I'm 30 years old. I have no idea who I am, what has become of the girl and the woman that I knew myself to be. I was somebody's wife, I was somebody's mom, I was somebody's daughter, but I had no idea who I was anymore. That kind of took me down the rabbit hole to, you know, <laughs> suicidal depression, which kind of took me probably four or five years to hit. Wow. And um, because I'm such a high achiever and because I'm such a strong woman and my family are all strong women, you just didn't talk about it. You didn't say, geez, guys, I'm really struggling here. Like, I'm really struggling because it, it just wasn't ever thought of. Plus, of course, I had an honors in psychology. I should right. know better. Yeah. Um, as as an achiever myself, I'm not even sure I'd know the, or certainly at the time, I don't even know that I'd know the language to say I'm struggling. Exactly. I do remember having a conversation with my mom once and I was like, mommy, like something's wrong. I feel so sad all the time. I think I've got depression. And my mom said, bless her, I love my mom dearly. But she was like, women in our family don't get depressed. And I was like, oh, oops, okay, sorry. So I carried on. 
we eventually moved back to South Africa and, and I wasn't coping with my kids. I wasn't coping with the moves. I had lost my grandmother and my aunt during that time as well. We were a really small family, so it was a big loss for me. And I just found myself in the bathroom one day with a bottle of sleeping pills. And I was like, this is it. I'm done. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I remember hearing my kids' voices. And I thought, oh my God, it would be such an easy out for me. But what is the memory that they would have to live with? So I made myself a doctor's appointment. And I went in, didn't know the doctor from Bar of Soap. And I said to him, if you don't help me today, I will not see my children tonight. And I was diagnosed and I was put on antidepressants and I was sent to therapy. And it sucked. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> I hated the antidepressants. Okay, so I don't want to kill myself anymore, but I'm not happy. I don't feel anything i'm like mr robotic going through life and then i would go into therapy and it's like let's drench up the past and everything that you did and after an hour it's like oh time is up well be gentle with yourself and i'll see you next week and i felt worse after every session and so one day i sat in the car and i was like God, universe, whatever is up there, you have to show me another way. I can't do this anymore. I cannot go to one more therapy session. And I was just bawling my eyes out. As I drove home, I drove past a kickboxing dojo. And the interesting thing is, of course, it's been there for years and I've never seen it. I pulled my car in and I went into the dojo and I said, um, when's your next class? I want to I wanna sign up. Never went back to therapy, went off all the medication, and within weeks, the depression was gone. And I was like, oh, okay. What? Maybe everything we're told is not what we think it is, and there's another way. Wow. Really, within weeks? You had been suffering for five, six years at this point, and within weeks, it was lifted. That's incomprehensible to me. How did you feel at that point? Hopeful. I knew then that life was going to be different forevermore. I knew that I had just embarked on a journey that I would never have discovered had it not been for the depression. That's one of the reasons when people say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm like, why? I am so grateful that I went through that. Everything else that happened in my background, people say, oh, you must have had it so easy. You're so happy. And no, shit happened in my life. None of us got through it without scars. And I got to choose who I desire to be next. Once you've been to that dark place and you choose to live, you don't want to just live anymore. You don't want to just exist anymore. You want to live. You become hungry for life again. You become hungry for experience again. The kickboxing was so instrumental for me. I really started feeling like a badass again. I even went and got some tattoos. And everybody was like, ooh, you've got tattoos. <laughs> yeah, ooh, evil woman. 
but it just felt so good to move my body. It just felt so good to start feeling strong again. As I was progressing, first starting off with the ladies kickboxing, and then I was like, oh no, I want full contact, baby. <laughs> you start progressing to the male classes and start going into contact kickboxing and stuff. I was like, oh, I need to get fitter for this. So I went and bought a bike and I thought I was so fit. And I got onto the bike and I remember the first ride was two kilometers and I was dead. Oh my God. <laughs> but the bug had bits, you know, now I want to cycle. And so I started cycling and then I started racing in my cycling until I took a really bad fall. I had to stop kickboxing because I completely damaged the one side of my body. And to this day, I don't have the strength back in my shoulder to actually kickbox. But again, when we look back in life, everything builds on each other. Everything just kind of takes mm -hmm. you to the next place. The more alive I felt, the more curious I became. And so I went on a mission and I wanted to find out what other healing modalities are there because clearly I was never going to do therapy. I was never going to use my degree in counseling. So I needed to figure out what else there was. And that took me on a, a whole new path as well. Tell me a little bit about the modalities that you looked into and experimented with. I'm curious about that. So I first signed up for mm -hmm. an energy healing class because I figured it has to be something in energy healing. The day that it was supposed to start, they phoned me two hours before the class and they said, oh, we're so sorry, but the class has been canceled due to lack of interest. But we have a life coaching course starting tonight. Now, this is almost 20 years ago, and in South Africa, I'd never even heard the term before. And I was like, well, what is, what is that? And they said, come for the first lesson. If you love it, you can continue. If you don't, you know, we'll give you a full refund. It was 11K even back then. It was a lot of money. So I was like, okay, well, let me go. And I walked in and I loved it. I just loved the, you know, the real belief in people's potential and getting you to where you want to be and acknowledging the past, but not having to necessarily go and delve into it because you are where you are, right? Like you don't have to go backwards. You want to go forwards in life. So I went and did that. I became a certified life coach. I did go and do energy healing. I'm a pranic psychotherapist, a pranic healer. Then I wanted the body part, so I became a personal trainer and a spinning instructor, an aqua instructor, yoga teacher. So I wanted all of it. I wanted to know body, mind, spirit, all the modalities, how they all fit together in order for us to get to a state of being whole. So this is your the second half of, the, of your 30s decade. This is sort of 35 to 40, is that right? That's right. Then life started picking up for me. I started feeling, I can do this. I started competing in cycling. One thing led to the next. Next thing I knew, I was winning silver medals at a provincial level, feeling unstoppable because the competition was pretty badass and I'd started so late in life. Then I was like, oh, okay, well, now I've done all of this, what's next? And a friend of mine sent through a YouTube video of an Ironman event. I so recall the day I was sitting in the dining room. This was still in Johannesburg. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. These people are amazing. And when the guy went over the line and the announcer said, 
John, you are an Iron Man. I was like, oh, I was born to be an Iron Man. Oh my God, I have to be an Iron Man. And I went online and I was like, when's the next Iron Man event? And then it was in four months time and I took out my credit card and I entered the event and ran to the bathroom and had a <laughs> spiritual poop because... <laughs> I went to go look, well, what does this actually entail? And it's 3.8 kilometers swim in the ocean and then a 180k bike ride and a 42.2k run as one event. Maybe I should have done a little research first because A, I couldn't swim. I was terrified of water after a near drowning as a child. The cycling bit, yeah, I've got that down pat. I mean, I haven't done 180k's, but you know, easy peasy. But I also wasn't a runner at the time. I think like the, the furthest I'd run was five, maybe 10K. And I was like, this, this could be interesting. And I started approaching coaches and they were all like, that's not enough time. You, you can't do it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I went and got a program off the internet and started my own training. Went onto YouTube. Googled videos, started training myself to swim in the gym, and then started feeling severe pain in my lower body in the runs. And so started going to specialists, and eventually they said, you need a hip operation, you have to pull out of the event. And I was like, it's in two months, and there's no refunds, and you can't guarantee me that I will be able to run after the operation, so that's not an option for me. So I found somebody who was crazy enough that I said, if you get me to the start line, I'll get myself to the finish line. And I did rehab seven days a week on top of the Ironman training. And um, yeah, 2013, there I was on the beach with all the other athletes. And, and you were 41 at the time. That's right. And you'd think that you'd have it all figured out by then, but I'd never... <laughs> thought I actually have to swim in the sea with sharks. And so we went a couple of days beforehand and I just couldn't do it. Every time I tried to go into the ocean, my mind would freak out and I would run back and sit on the beach and cry like a baby. And you must know people look at you really funny because there's all these Ironman athletes and their families and supporters. And here's you sitting crying on the beach because you can't swim in the ocean. And I thought, I'm in real trouble here. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I knew I was born to be an Iron Man baby. So, you know, life wouldn't have led me here if it wasn't the truth. <clears throat> and so as I stood there, I was like, okay, I need a strategy to get through the swim now. My strategy was I was going to count three breaths. And then on the fourth breath, I'll spot to kind of see in which direction. All I need to do is to keep on counting. And it seemed like such a good strategy at the time. But, but we underestimate the voices in our heads. <laughs> so the cannon went off and there goes the adrenaline charged monkeys all into the water. And um, I walked because, well, I don't want everybody around me. So I'll just get there, you know. And I started counting and I remember going, one, two, three, spot. One, two, three. Where's everybody? One anyway so that's what i had to do i literally had to count all wow. the time to myself and um 
I recall as because we had to do two laps. As I came through the last bench of the first lap, I heard this voice going, you might as well give up. And I was like, God? <laughs> Seriously? And I stopped swimming. And there was this guy in the water. And he goes, you might as well give up. We're never going to make the deadline. Now, by this time, the leaders were lapping me. They were finishing their second lap. And I hadn't done my first one. And I looked at him and I said to him, you have no idea what it took for me to get here. There's just no way that I'm giving up until they tell me, sorry, it's game over. So I left him behind and I carried on. And when I came out of the ocean, it was the funniest sensation because you have Baywatch in your mind, you know, all those babes running and then you feel like the Michelin man on jelly legs and all you can think is, dear God, please don't let me face plant in front of all of these people because that would be really embarrassing. And as I came ungracefully stumbling out of the ocean, there was this true voice in my head and it said, behind your fear lies your freedom. And I was like, well, that's profound. Thank you. And I don't have time for that right now. So let's park that. We'll come back to this. We have a race to finish. <laughs> and I became an Ironman. For those of us in the States, <laughs> the triathlon is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then a marathon of 26.2 miles. There are lots of shorter triathlon races around but a true Ironman is those extreme distances in my personal and humble opinion <laughs> everybody said to me you can't just go from zero to Ironman you have to go and do the shorter ones I eventually gave in and did one sprint try which is like the baby baby triathlons and I hated it I was like Oh my God, if I have to do this, I will never become an Ironman. Never. It's all or nothing. The, the really sad part is I have so many friends who afterwards said, I want to be an Ironman too, but let me first go and do the half. Right. And then they never do the full because they go, oh no, if the half is this hard, I don't have what it takes to do the full. It's all the mind. I think people play so small that they're uninspired in life. Why not just bite off the big thing? What's the worst thing that could happen, people? We can die. Well, we're gonna die anyway. So why not just bite off more than you can chew and you're either gonna spit or swallow, but either will be better than not biting at all. That's pretty profound. So you became an Iron Man on your first try. Oh, hell yeah. Congratulations. I know it's in the past now, but still, even the story is worthy of telling you congratulations. Thank you. Now, the interesting thing is, I thought I would feel incredible afterwards. And the moment I crossed the finish line, I thought, <laughs> oh, anybody can do this. <laughs> and it's true, though. Like, honestly, if I could do it, anybody could do it. And that's when I started understanding this whole high achievement thing is maybe not the path to fulfillment right. and happiness. Another profound statement. You're, you're absolutely right.
Go back and say again the voice that you heard, the clear voice in your head. Say it again, what it said to you. Behind your fear lies your freedom. So after the race, when you had time to sit and think about it, tell me what you mulled over about that statement. I started at the water point because for me, the water was a big thing. And I started thinking about everything that I had missed out on in life because I was afraid of the water. I started thinking about all the pool parties in school my friends went to that I either didn't attend or I hid inside because I was afraid somebody would throw me in the water. I thought about all the things that I've wanted to do, like surfing and boogie boarding. I feel real peace at the beach that I didn't for 40 years because of my fear of water. And then I thought, what else did I miss out on in life because of fear? The moment I moved into my fear, and I think it's really important to understand, I'm not talking about overcoming your fear. I think that that's a mistake that we are making. I had to move into my fear. I had to really French kiss my demons in order for me to get to the other side. I had to move through it. The freedom in that is your mental freedom. The freedom in that is becoming unavailable to not live because of fear. Wow. People always talk about moving through fear and past fear and facing fears. It's interesting that you're saying exactly the opposite. You're saying just pull up a chair and sit with it. Because in the last 10 years, what I've also discovered is even though behind your fear lies your freedom, within your fear lies your power. Hi, this is where I usually interrupt to ask you to look down at your phone and either rate or share the podcast, which of course I'd still love for you to do. But what I'm really more interested in is getting to know you and hearing your feedback on these interviews. One way to do that is by joining me on Marco Polo, an app I use to keep in touch with my friends and family. Search my name, Stephanie McLaughlin. I'm the one in a purple shirt and shades. Another way is to send me a voice note, either by email or on one of the social apps. You never know, I might even use it in an upcoming episode. All right, back to Elle, who's going to dig into the axiom she's been working with for a decade now. Behind your fear lies your freedom, and within your fear lies your power. Tell me a little more about that. Every fear that we have is conditions. And I have traced it back to more than 3,000 years of tribal conditioning that we are sitting with today. Within every fear, there is a critical growth piece for us to self-actualize and transcend tribal consciousness. You can't self-actualize until you have gone into all of the fears that has been planted in your mind through conditioning because you need to figure out what that is. What is the story that we have been telling for generations that has people afraid? Give me an example. Just a mundane one. You have to be liked to be successful. 
we, we've created a brand culture globally. Everybody has to be a brand. You have to be liked, known and trusted, the marketing gurus will tell you, in order for you to be successful. Because if you are not liked, the tribe will abandon you. The tribe will reject you. And if the tribe rejects you, you will die because you will be left out in the cold. So what do we do? We prostitute ourselves. We tell people what they want to hear. Honey, you can call me candy. You can call me whatever you like, baby, as long as you take me home with you tonight. Make you a very happy person because your happiness is my happiness. When my kids are happy, I'm happy. When my husband is happy, I'm happy. When my clients are happy, I'm happy. Well, no, because happiness is an inside job. And if you're not willing to take responsibility for your own personal well-being and happiness, who do you think you are to take responsibility for somebody else's? So that's a lie. That's a tribal lie. And so everybody thinks, well, if they don't like me and if I don't belong and if I'm not part of the tribe, I'm going to be so lonely. We live in an epidemic of loneliness. People have never been lonelier than what they are today. Why? Because they're seeking love and attention and happiness in all the wrong places. They don't know who they are. They haven't taken the time to figure out how they're thinking, how their thinking is impacting their emotions, how their emotions are impacting their actions, how their actions are actually creating their realities in the life that they are living in. So all they do is they react the whole time and do everything so that other people will just like and protect them and then we will all be happy. But they're miserable. So when you start understanding that and you start going into that fear, then you have to face that demon and go, well, if I stop giving a rat's bum about what people think about me, then who am I? What do I dare to say? that some people will love and other people will hate. Because if I don't love myself, how can I expect you to love me? I expect you to love that which I cannot even love. We call that love in society. Oh, it's a little bit um, insane if you ask me. Yeah, and then once you start questioning these tribal learnings, as you're calling them, you get cast out because you are no longer behaving according to the norms. So that's scary for the group. So now you're out on your own, which isn't necessarily as scary in this day and age as it was a thousand years ago, because out in the cold, we still have all the trappings of modern society, but it does become a different way of experiencing life from almost looking at it from the outside, not looking at life, but looking at all these groups that you see them in communities. I see them in my communities, these groups of people who are happy doing everything together. And a lot of times I know I personally feel on the outside of that for some of the choices that I've made. And quite frankly, you stop being lonely. Once you fall madly in love with yourself, and I know people even judge that, oh, you're a narcissist. No, I actually took the time to figure out who I am and to be the woman that I'm profoundly proud of every single day. And I'm madly in love with myself because I'm worth loving. 
now I don't need other people to love me. I get to love others deeper than what I ever have before. And because I operate in a tone of love, for the first time I actually can receive love. Because if you don't love yourself, you're not on the frequency of love. So you think that you that other people are loving you, but you can't receive it because it's disharmonious. And so now you stop being lonely and then you kind of go, well, actually, I've been a bit of a weirdo all my life. I've never really fitted in anyway. And when I did try to fit in, it didn't work out so well for me. And there's more and more of us. That's the really wonderful thing about this time, Stephanie. There's more and more of us that go, like, I know my people are lone wolves. My ladies are lone wolves. That When I say lone wolves, they go, oh, yeah, that's me. Absolutely. My people are disruptors. You know, I say the word disruptor, a guy will go, yep, that's me. I'm here to disrupt the mm -hmm. system, baby. We can't carry on like this. But the thing is that if we're here to disrupt, if we are here to elevate, if we are here to do new stuff that hasn't been done before, we have to be willing to, first of all, acknowledge and understand the prison that we have created within our own minds through the conditioning. And then we have to be willing to actually let that stuff go. We have to be willing to outgrow it. Because here's what I want people to think about. If overcoming fear was the answer, we would have a fearless world. Because everybody's like, just feel the fear and do it anyway. You have to live outside your comfort zone. You have to overcome. You have to rise to the challenge. We have to be motivated people. Which is a billion dollars industry. But here's what I learned. You have a finite amount of energy every single day that you use in your mind that you use in your body we are using so much energy overcoming fear that we have a minuscule amount of energy to create our legacies when you've outgrown fear you don't have to exert any fear or any energy in resisting your fear because that's what you're doing you literally at war with yourself because your fear has a purpose. Otherwise you wouldn't feel it. If you stop fighting yourself, if you stop fighting your demons, they bow down to you and they go, I have a treasure for you. And within this treasure is power. And you take that power and you create your legacy from there. And it becomes fun, it becomes really fun because we get to play with the scared people. I know this sounds horrible, but I have tattoos and they say you don't tease the untattooed people. But we can because we love enough. You know, I say if you don't have a sense of humor, it's because you have things to go and sort out for yourself. I know I'm not evil. I know my intentions are well. And so I make light of it because I want people to understand as well, fear is not scary. They're so terrified of fear that they have lost a sense of humor in life. Fear itself is not scary. It's not going to kill you. <laughs> you, know, you think it is. And the really sad part is most people have such a dysfunctional relationship with fear that they don't recognize mm. when something really is dangerous. Right. For most of us, when we feel fear, we're not facing down a saber-toothed tiger. It's okay to sit with most of your fears. And have a conversation right. with your fear. What are you trying to tell me? Like, what, what, what am I not seeing here? What am I really scared of? 
and go into it. Don't settle for the, oh, I'm afraid of failure. Oh, I'm afraid of, of success. Stuff that everybody is saying. That's just more humdrum. You want to get really specific. What am I really afraid of? What is the story that is running in the background in my mind that has me feeling fear? When you start understanding that any story, any belief is just you saying the same thing over and over again and creating evidence in the process, that's what beliefs are, then you can go, well, how's that working out for me? Do I really want to continue believing this or am I intending to see life differently? Am I really actually ready to go, the meat suit is going to expire. She is going to rot in the ground. She is not here for much longer. I can already <laughs> see where she's starting to go towards Mother Earth. <laughs> I was thinking the other day, if I could do a handstand, my boobs would go back to their original place. But I know that who I really am, what I really am is eternal. I'm just having here a beautiful life experience that I get to evolve in. So if I could just relax on that. And I also came to realize my soul has already decided her expiration date. She knows, and she's not going to tell me when that is. But that means nothing that I do is going to stop the moment of death coming upon me. See white doves flying. And I don't know what wonderful way she has planned in order for me to use as an excuse to depart the body. Everything is just like whatever. So why not go and do an Iron Man? Why not go and run across a mountain, which was my next thing, which made Iron Man look like a freaking walk in the park. Why would I not go and do that? Because I'm not dead yet, so I'm not done yet. Why not live a little and live with eyes wide open? If I'm here to evolve, if everything is about me learning and seeing life differently, what is life giving me right here in this moment? I don't have to go back to my childhood to go figure this out. Life is giving everything to me right here, right now to go, what if this is wrong? What if I'm just curious all of the time like a child? Oh, why is that? How's that work? Or what if we do it differently? What if we maybe left this out? What if we experimented because we don't care what other people say about us anymore. And we know that we can't get this wrong. And we know that we'll never get done. And we kind of know all of this. Why not have more fun? That is really what society needs right now. They're so mm. terrified of dying, they've stopped living, Stephanie. Tell me this. There are plenty of people listening to this nodding, going, yep, yep, yep. And there's someone listening who's going... I have no idea what you're talking about or how I would even go about it. So for that person, what are some of the things they might start questioning first? That might be the easy on-ramp to opening your mind and stepping off the cultural truisms and things like that. Where might someone start? What's a good place to start 
either sitting with your fear or questioning your beliefs? Experiment for one week and say, I'm going to prove myself wrong. So write down some of your beliefs, maybe not the ones that are so precious to you that, you know, you will fight tooth and nail for them to stay with you. We'll deal with those later. But what are some of the easier beliefs that you've maybe held that you can go, but what if I consciously go and look for things that prove me wrong? Which means go and speak to people or read stuff that's, contrary to my beliefs and not needing them to be wrong or me to be right. So let's make the on-ramp even lower stakes than that. Because right now in the world, questioning beliefs comes with a lot of baggage, with a lot of uh, meaning. So let's not even talk about that. But even lower stakes, I'm even thinking... I don't know, when you were talking, I was thinking, what do I believe is true? I believe that the best time to go grocery shopping is on Saturday mornings. Well, okay. Try a different time. See what it looks like Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. I don't know. That's a really stupid example. You, I feel, were ready for the big leap. And I think for some folks who are looking to wake up, they need a little bit of success before they make the big leap, a couple of small hops before they get there. Think of what is the furthest you can walk and get somebody to drop you off a mile further than that and then walk home and pay attention to the thoughts that come up in your mind. And if that thought has to be, screw Al, stupid cow, this was an insane suggestion, then let that be your thought. I'm okay with that. You have to start proving to yourself that there's so much more to you than what you've allowed yourself to believe that there is. And using your physical body is the fastest way to do that because you're absolutely going to go through, oh, well, this is easy. Oh, okay, well, maybe not. Oh, well, this is, this is starting to hurt. Oh my God, what was I thinking? Let me phone a friend to come and pick me up. So you have to tell the friends before the time, whatever I do, do not come and pick me up. And then the real stories are going to come up about what you believe you are capable of and why this is a really stupid idea. But by the time that you get home, maybe not by the time you get home because you're going to be hurting and you're not going to be in a good mood, but that's okay. The next day, sit down and kind of go, wow, Look what I've just done. I honestly thought this was my limit and I went a whole mile further. Where else can I do this? What else can I do? The body was not given to you to sit and listen or to sit and read books or to sit and learn. The body is the instrument of learning. We learn through experience. So what experience do you need to have that's different and not that scares you like doing an extra mile nobody is going to be terrified of that you're just going to be a little bit out of your discomfort mark but you do a little bit of that every single day and you create evidence 
that is stacking up against your previous beliefs. That's really what you want to start doing. You want to start creating better evidence of who and what you really are whilst being very present with the experience. Be very present with the thoughts. I used to do a, a squat challenge with ladies where they would do 250 consecutive squats within 30 days. And I had them journal every day at what point did the voice start? What was the voice saying? And where else was the same voice speaking in their lives? And they're always blown away by it. Always. Nobody believes they can do 250 consecutive squats in 30 days. And they all did. I had one lady do 750 consecutive squats after 30 days. This is a woman wow. who didn't squat before. When you start tapping into the power of the story and you start changing that story, even if you have to speak out loud, I do this all the time. When I'm out training, I speak out loud to myself. I also sing out loud. I also howl, which is very liberating people. Everybody should howl. So good to shift your energy. And people get to look at you really funny, which is even more fun because you get to scare them. But, you know, start doing these things or do the fun part. Go and dance in the street. When you're standing at the queue, instead of standing there like a morbid robot, like everybody does, not trying to see anybody else and not making eye contact, that's the move, baby. Like, just go and dance a little bit. People's energy change. And when you start understanding you are the changer of energy, because nobody can keep a straight face when you start dancing. Guaranteed. When you start seeing the energy, how you can change people's energy, that already starts creating new thought patterns for you. Wow, if it's so simple, what else can I do? Doesn't have to be complicated. Like meet yourself where you're at. Whether you need to be more fun or whether you need to be a little bit more badass, you do you, baby. You can't do this wrong. That's spectacular. Yes. I love your example of just However far you think you can walk, go be dropped off a mile further and then just get yourself home. It sounds a little adventurous, which is fun, a challenge, which I think sort of motivates us. And if you're just curious, I love that idea about being curious about, can I do it? Why did I think X miles was as far as I could go? I love that. That's a great on-ramp. That's a great way for people to see this is what it looks like and feels like when I challenge a belief that is pretty low stakes. Most people don't start with the high stakes beliefs. I think most people work up to those. Absolutely. And when you find yourself that you're starting to be hard on yourself with this whole process, here's my favorite line. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, it's interesting that I'm thinking that. Oh, it's interesting that I'm saying that. I don't have to judge myself and just become curious. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because we're very hard on ourselves. Yep. We're so self-critical. And we have this self-flagellating culture going because we're not bashing each other over the head enough. Let's do it to ourselves first. <laughs> Let's not even get started on the martyrdom. But be nice to you. Like, be nicer to yourself than you would be to anybody else in the world. 
you know what, if everybody did that, we would have a completely different world. Yeah. There's another thing that I've heard, I've read, I think, and that is that the voices in your head that are being so mean to you, you are also the voice in your head and you can tell it to shut up. I definitely have, (laughs) at least I have two voices in my head. I have the mean one and the nice one. And it took me a while to get the mean one under control, but I did. But when those thoughts come to you and they're plaguing you, it's interesting to remember that you're not at the mercy of them. You can question them. You can refute them. You can say different things. You can have a conversation in there. Ask those mean voices why they believe that. Create space for them. Speak to them and say, you know what? I will listen attentively to you on the condition that it doesn't mean I'm going to obey you. I will listen to you, but I will not obey you. You are not my master. You are in service to me. You are in service to my growth. Because that is what the voices are. That's what fear is. It's in service to your growth. They were never meant to be your master. When we start understanding that, as I always say, French kiss your demons, decapitate your darlings and live your dreams. The darlings are your excuses, all your little BS reasons as to why not you, why not now, why you're not ready, all of the time, money, the kinder, whatever. They're all your little darlings. You have to decapitate them. And you have to really love your demons. They're in service to you. And then life becomes juicy. And I have many, many voices in my head. And I also had to learn that my nice voice doesn't sound like what I was told the nice voice sounds like. When I hear, oh, it's okay. Like just, it, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the enemy voice. That's not... The, My nice voice is like, bitch, please, you get your ass out of here. What do you think you're doing? That's my nice voice. But when I say that to people, they go, oh, you're so mean to yourself. I go, no, the cotton wrapping voice, that's the one I have to be really careful of because she's the one that wants me to be mediocre, that wants me to be complacent and fit in. Let me just wrap you in cotton, Al, and I'll keep you safe. She's seductive. She's the tribe, by the way, you guys. The tribe voice. Oh, come sit by the fire. We'll all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and we'll keep you safe. And we will love you, and we will be the source of your happiness. You'll never be alone. Until you break one of our rules. Then we will first turn on you. We will make you feel bad about yourself. We will give you another opportunity to fit in, sit down, shut up, cross your legs, look nice. And then if you still don't behave, we will brand you the enemy and we will turn on you. Yeah. Yeah. So your nice voice, although she sounds mean, is actually your cheerleader to go and get what you want. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. You told me you have 
a name, sort of what you're known as these days. The fear maven. I love that. You also told me you work with female leaders over 40 because the idea of being a follower is ludicrous. I love the way you wrote that. Well, males as well. I work with both men and women because even social media's button to say, follow this person. What? I'm not a sheep. And I'm not a sheep dog either. I have no desire to have followers. The concept of following for me is just mind-blowingly ridiculous. And I know that there are so many of us out there that, that kind of look at, what do you mean I must follow? Mm. What do you mean I must follow who? Well, I believe that rules are for the people who are here to lovingly create contrast for us. They are the creators of the society that we are finding ourselves in and we thank them because if it wasn't for them, we would not be here at this time. They made us. The chaos that they created is what created us at this time to come through and go, all right, people. I don't think so. It is time for us to actually start remembering who and what we are and to start understanding there's no scarcity. Let's get back to prosperity. Let's get back to divine love. Let's get back to one team, team human. Let's actually be the caretakers of the planet that we came here to be. Let's get our shit together, people. And you can't be there if you want people to like you. I love your point of view. It's refreshing. It's as much as the powers that be want us to think that fitting in is cool. The more I talk to people and the more I've lived, the more you realize that it's the outsiders that are really cool. Well, like I say, the strength of one who's operating from genius is more powerful than a million operating in tribal fear. The powers to be, honey, we are the powers to be. Those imposters who are sitting with their titles and making the rules for the other people to follow, because let's just be honest here, the rules do not apply to us. Like every time that people get upset about rules, I'm like, why are you, why are you getting upset about it? It doesn't apply to us because we operate in integrity. We don't do harm. So why do I need somebody to tell me how, I'm not freaking five years old anymore, people. Now, can we please grow up? That's wonderful. That's why we're over 40. Like at what point do you stop obeying like a freaking school child? Because you're scared you're gonna get spanked. Let's maybe not have the spank conversation because apparently, you know, that's the new. <laughs> Some people might like that. But that's not what we mean. <laughs> that's not what we mean. <laughs> but we, we've created a lot of the fly society. Mature people are terrified of the youth. And the exuberance of youth has to be tempered by grounding wisdom. Over 40s have to start going through their period of liberation 
because quite frankly, our legacy, and I'm not talking about the children that we've birthed, our legacy can be better than what it is right now. That's wonderful. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but I feel like that's a wonderful place to finish this conversation. I'm sure you and I will connect again to keep going here because this is so interesting. I love your point of view and some of the things that you shared with us today. When I go back and listen to this, my jaw is going to drop again because I think they were so profound and wonderful and just a great point of view. So thank you so much for sharing so much with me today. Thank you for having me here. This has been amazing. And I have a feeling that we'll be having many cups of coffee and maybe glasses of wine over conversations. Because yes, absolutely. I want to say as well to everybody who's listening, shout out to Stephanie for putting this together. Thank you. So needed. So needed. You're an inspiration to me. And thank you for the work that you're doing. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. As I said at the end of the episode, every time I listen to this conversation, I find another nugget that I'm inspired by or my jaw drops at another point in, the, in Elle's story. I hope you enjoyed meeting Elle as much as I did. Next week, I hope you'll join me for another inspiring story of midlife transition from someone who made it out the other side. The 40 Drinks Project is produced and presented by Savoir Fair Marketing Communications. 